I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number seven. Welcome to the seventh Life in Dub podcast, my series of in-depth interviews with people who live their lives in dub and reggae. As with every time, I've got to say a big thanks to all those who've been sending in messages of support, along with suggestions and ideas. It's great to hear from you all, so please keep in touch. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, and as usual, you can email me at vibronics at gmail.com, and you can visit the podcast website, lifeindove.com. The world is a totally different place to the one we all lived in just two weeks ago when I broadcast my last podcast. So I've got to send a big shout out to all the artists, promoters, festivals, venues, technicians, drivers, photographers, video makers, anyone who's been directly affected by this virus situation and who, like me, really have no idea how or when this will play out. We're all in this together with the whole music industry hit like never before. So with this in mind, I really wanted to pick up on what Russ Disciple said in episode six when he was talking about still learning. That really stuck in my mind because for sure it's something I firmly believe in. Always learning new skills and techniques in the studio, in playing, in selecting, in everything I do. This podcast is a great example. I had never done a podcast before I started back in January. So I had to teach myself a whole new set of skills and up my knowledge in a whole new area. And those of us in isolation and lucky enough to be healthy can look to learn some new things in the current period. I'm self-taught in music, engineering, label management, everything I do. But one thing that's helped me more than anything in learning is to ask others. Way back in the 90s, when I knew almost nothing about starting a record label, I contacted people like Jar Warrior and Dougie Wardrop to ask them how to do it. And they, along with many other people, were really happy to share their knowledge with a newbie like me. And recently with my podcast, this approach continues. I emailed some presenters of podcasts that I like to ask a few technical questions, and generally, people got back to me. So that's really what I want to say now, that now is a great time to contact people if you have a particular question that you think that person could help you with. I get asked all the time about producing and releasing music, and I'm happy to help when I can. And in these crazy times we're all living in now, there's never been a better time to reach out to people. Even people who seem more successful or important are often happy to help answer questions, maybe now more than ever. This week, my guest is King Earthquake, also known as Errol Arawak. King Earthquake has got to be one of the truly legendary and notorious root sound systems of the last 20 years, from humble beginnings way back in the 1970s, King Earthquake came to most people's attention in the early 2000s in the form of the camouflage-painted and handmade machine that raised the bass bar higher than it had ever been before. I travelled over to Birmingham a few weeks ago to meet with Errol to talk about his sound system, his personal story, and to gain some insight into lesser-known legends like Lynx the preamp builder. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. So Errol, King Earthquake, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Life in Dub, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> nice, nice, nice. You could uh, join me and uh, known you for a while and nice to sit yeah. down and like have a bit of a bit of a reasoning about, you know, all things King Earthquake. It's good, it's good man. It's not just about playing music. It's about learning learning the thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. Definitely, mm. definitely. So what, what I'm doing is I'm asking all the guests the same question and we kind of touched on this just as I arrived. But um, I'm asking everybody to name a track that kind of changed things for them. And think when they listen to that track, 
that kind of that that kind of switched things up for them. So, but we earlier on, you kind of said that you got your own kind of like take on that. So I was wondering what what your response to a question like that is. You see, you see Steve, let me tell you, um, it was always there. You understand? There was no time at all when anything new um, came in to change my life. You know, and uh, you got to understand so that um, in in my family, I'm an Indian at the end of the day. Um, and we grew up with reggae music and Indian music. Our parties were from a youth, you know, growing up, one room was reggae and one room was Indian, you know? You choose, and I used to go between the two of them and them kind of, so reggae music was in a way from a very, very young children age, you know, growing up. And they, they, you see, so there was no music then that I could have did say, well, did change me. I didn't hear one record that, that could have did say, well, I'm going to, you know, I like that and that's going to change my life because it was always there. So you, you grew up like surrounded by reggae music? Yes. Our, our family used to play a lot of um, reggae music. Um, um, later on, it changed. Um, we started hearing, the, you know, the wonderful world of toasting, you know, and it was different, but it didn't change me. It's something new that we just take on board and we started playing them. It didn't really um, mean... A lot at the time, you know. I mean, a lot of pe- a lot of people would say, "Well, boy, the reason why I change and turn to Rasta is because I hear this tune, yeah, and I hear the words they man- manifest." And they- no, I've been listening to Rasta music long, long, long before I ch- I change and become Rasta. So there was no music really that I could say that was, um, you know, life changing for me. So uh, was this always in Birmingham as well? You you're from Birmingham originally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I born and grew in Birmingham. Yeah, and Birmingham has got like this huge history of reggae music. So I guess that explains why it was always around when you were growing up. Of course, <clears throat> of course. Like, like um, it's it, it's like it was an embedded thing into you from growing up, even at school. You know. Even at school, I mean, our school where we went to, it was, um, everybody was into reggae music at the time. A lot of schools will tell you a different story, but ours was always about sound system and groups and and, and, and reggae music and all of them things there, you know? So it, it, it wasn't a strange thing, you know? It wouldn't suddenly you just hear a record and you think, wow, what the hell is that? Let me let me discover that and, and the meaning of that. It was already there. Because... When you think about people who are maybe brought up in different countries or people brought up now where there's not that that kind of reggae, the reggae scene isn't isn't now is not like it used to be. So I guess when you were growing up, reggae was a big thing. Yeah, it, it was, it was um, a time of discovering, isn't it? The, the, these um, artists and veterans, them were producing things and making things happen and it was a time of discovering themselves as well. And, you know, it, it portrayed out to the people eh? And it's like, this podcast is called Life in Dub because it's all about people who live their lives in dub and reggae. So, obviously, music's been the big thing in your life. So, mm. can, you, can you think about how, kind of, how music came into your life or maybe when you realised it was, like, so important to you or... You know what? It was more important to me at the time when nearly leaving school. The time when it became... Um, of an interest in the way that I wanted to just play a part in it, 
was when nearly probably a couple of years before we leave school, you know, and it's only because people used to sneak out and go dance all and be introduced to this wonderful world of sound system uh, and the music and, and hearing it like, well, that was the same for me, but I didn't have to sneak out. I was given a key. I said, just don't knock the door when you come back. Yeah, it was like that for me. So I used to go anywhere where I did want to go, you know, and I didn't venture too far. But yeah, it was um, going to a dance hall for the first time made me want to build a sound system. What, what were those dances like, the early dances? What, what sort of recollections have you got of like early dances you went to? The early dances then was, um, all, all you can think about is it being rampack full and it's um, smoke infested. That's, uh, you know, it's not like today. It's smoke infested um, and it's hot. Those was the images from me, from, uh, you know, and because I was so young at the time still, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. I ain't tall now. And I was certainly wasn't tall then. And this is what you were in a school age. This is what I'm saying. And, and, and I'm going to dance hall and walking through crowds of people that is twice my height, you know, so I'm fighting through people. Going, and th- that was my experience. And it, it's only because, you know, of, of, um, I went to a wedding. And it's only because me see the sound system there and the man doing him thing. I thought to myself, say, that's, that's what me want for do. I'm going to do that. And this was like um, at the age of what, 12, something like that. So that's like starting super early then. That's yeah. It. And you realize then it's like this is something you're interested 12, in. 13, I want to do that. That is what I would like to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, don't forget, back in the days, you, we play upon Grammy at the house. You know, and as far as, as as it did go for me, going to this wedding now was was the time when I decided said this is what I want to do. Even when you were a child, you like messing around with music and playing music on on the radiogram, the stereogram at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we used to have to wait till parents go out, go in the front room, and, and play around until you hear the car door lock. So you know, say. You gotta escape. You gotta disappear. Yeah. These dances. So these are dances in Birmingham, and Birmingham is known as a kind of like a militant place for reggae and for sound system. And um, what what kind of sounds were around at that time? Do you you remember any of the sounds? Well, you you know, yeah. I mean, these man's was radical, you know, and um, it was always they used to clash constantly. That, That and that's what I grew up in. I grew up in those clash dances, you know, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a planting. I mean, it's it's never a um, on the flyer that this is going to be a clash and whatever. You just put two sounds together, it's automatically turned into a clash. Yeah, it's good. You know? Who's going to play the best music? Who's going to like? That's right. That's right. I mean, Quaker City was the pre- predominant sound back in the day. You know, he was he was the heaviest. But I mean, I can tell you that um, he didn't play in Birmingham quite a lot. Quaker was always out of town. And we're talking about like six days a week. He was playing somewhere. So people were going to dances like in the week? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, um, I don't know, it was different then. Different. It's like um, people was craving to go to dance. No, it ain't like that. But people did crave. They want to go to a dance. So they're looking for places to go. You understand? Not the um, promoters, them presenting them with a... Um, with the opportunity, it was them looking for the opportunity. 
you know. So you could put on a dance and people will turn up anyway. It was like it was like step step in front of the blues dance them into dance hall, yeah. And when when you talk about a sound like Quaker, it's like everybody I've spoken to since I kind of got into sound system talked about Quaker. It's a heavy sound. And I guess back then people didn't have like much access to like you know stereos in cars and the, the TV had had like not very good speakers and it kind of mm. so what 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 was it like hearing a sound like Quaker kind of back in the day? It was fantastic. <laughs> Quaker, Quaker was one of those. I mean, it was um, semi militant in himself. You know, he he, he he used to stamp his authority. Especially out of town. He used to love to stamp in maturity out of town, you know. Um, but Quaker City, um, it, it wasn't as um, strictly roots sound and dub sound. It was an all-rounder, playing all-round music kind of thing, you know. Um, like party vibes, them kind of way there. Later on, you get, you, get, you, get, you get sounds like Naya. You get sounds like Sifa. You get sounds like jungle. These were militant sounds. And these are all Birmingham sounds. Yeah, these the, these sounds was um. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, right. You, you got you, you got um mafia and all of them sound there as well. But they were a bit a bit like Quaker City, and they were the age of Quaker City as well. But the younger sounds them now, like like you see, it was jungle that did um force me. To build a sound, and what 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 happened there then? What what was all that about? Jungle Man was um, was all um, Rasta. A lot of the sounds them we have one and two Rasta in the sound them you know. But Jungle Man crew and it was about probably ten, twelve of them. Every one of them was Rasta, and they portrayed that. You know, it was like a, um, a show when they when they played, they put on a show. You know, and when would you say that before that sounds were more like? party entertainment things and this militant thing was, was that a newer thing yeah it, it's it's like before it, it was um it was anything that you you, you, you could be playing at a wedding you know Quaker would play at a wedding and and, and them kind of thing there you know but like you couldn't tell jungle man say I have to play at a wedding you you you, you understand like it's like Shaka you couldn't tell Shaka say I have to play at a wedding it was that kind of thing you know but like jungle now was was militant. He, he was a fighting sound. This this man, you know, they they never pull no punches. And it was it was hearing and and kind of experiencing sounds like that that made you think, okay, I'm gonna build something myself. Yeah, you, you, you see, the first sound I heard, and I can't remember what, what the name. It was at a wedding when I was young, you know, and that that made up my mind. Said that I'm gonna I'm gonna that's what I want to do, you know. But then later on, now going to dance hall when I was at school. And here in jungle for the first time, I thinking, you know what? That that's stamp it in my brain. I this is what I want to do. I'm going to do that because these man's influence me. And what 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 kind of sound? I mean, what what did it sound like? Like that kind of sound? So you're talking what? Like early eighties, I guess. Yeah, around the um, eighty onwards. Yeah. Well, um, this the sound was um, because it's um, competition bass. You know, you can you, you start to um, understand what's going on between the two sounds. You start to understand the lingo and what, what they mean when they say this, what they mean when they say that. It's a competition, it's a clash. You understand? Um, it's the it's the uh, it's the feeling 
of BS coming at you from all angles, you know? And it's not just BS, it's, it's pressure in you. It's that, what I did love. You can feel it, can't you? That's, the, that's, that's yeah. what it struck me when I first heard Sound System. It's like, you can feel it. The music's yeah. like vibrating. Yes, yeah. And you sometimes you just don't believe so that the same record where you got in the house can sound like that. Yeah, they make so much more sense when you hear them on the sound. Yes. Suddenly the, it's like, yes. this is what the music's made yes. for. Yes, there is nothing like presenting Roots music but a, but a dub sound, but a big sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how, how did you go about starting your sound? Because there's quite a lot of lessons to learn, aren't there, in like building a sound and making a sound? You know what it was, Steve? I took up the old gram. Because my old lady threw out the old gram. She went and buy a, because she did have an old gram. And she went and buy a brand new Grundig. And I couldn't play that. She wouldn't allow me for trouble that. And this is for people who maybe don't understand. This is like a... A home stereo where everything's in a wooden box. Yes. You've got a record player, a radio. Yes. Speakers, speakers are maybe built into the box. Into, the, into this box, yeah, yeah. Your radio and your tuner and everything is in there. Turntable, everything is in there. Yeah, even a drinks cabinet. Yeah, but she threw out the old gram and she threw it in the yard. So I'm thinking, I got nothing to play now. She not, she not allowed me to play a fair new gram. And I got, so I can go and, and play the record then, but she buy because I never used to, I never buy a record there. It was her records that I was playing. So I take the gram and I put it in my room. And that is how I made it start, basically. And what I did was, because it's a sliding turntable, yeah, I take it out, dismantled it, and keep all the components them. You know, and all the wood, I dismantled it around it. And yeah, I had the little tuner. I had the turntable separately. Yeah. And I still had the piece of board, the side of the um, the gram with the speaker attached to it, lean up. And that's how that's that was the first sound system. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's, that's how it all started, really. My, my cousin, them usually come around every every weekend we was up in my room playing music and them kind of weird eh? and what what about like the music as well because like you know from my experience of hearing king earthquake sound system is like is is like a deep selection of music and especially like when i first started hearing you was like a, a deep vinyl selection so wh wh when did you start like collecting records and kind of getting deep into that when i at school steve we we, we cuz I used to go without, you know. I used to get pocket money from, from my parents. I used to get biscuit money from my parents. Um, I, I used to get birthday money, Christmas money, but they all went on records. Every week I was in record shop, you know. And these are record shops in Birmingham? Yeah. These record shops obviously aren't here anymore. No, no. Uh, um, the, the, there was one road, um, Villa Road, there was probably three record shops. In fact, Quaker City had his own record shop um, at the time. Um, but where I used to go was just not, um, probably, I don't know, 10 minutes walk away from where I was, and that was my frequent record shop, you know? And yeah, I, I used to, it's like, I, you know, you, you go to school, and then you go to um, home, and then you go to record shop. There's only three places I used to go. I think people can't imagine these days what it's like to live like five minutes away from a record shop because very few people do now. But back in those days, I guess it's a different story. Yeah, you, well, that was the way of life, innit, back then. You couldn't buy, you couldn't get a record otherwise unless you go to a record shop. Where would you go? You understand? You didn't have people coming and selling your record. You, there was no online thing. 
You understand? So you have to go to a record shop. And you know, that was the joy. I talk about this on radio the other day. The, the eagerness, the, the joy of getting up and putting on your clothes as quick as you can, putting on your shoes as quick as you can to race to the record shop because you know so that every 10 minutes you're losing a selection of music that's played in the record shop because that's how it, that's, you don't go and name the records them that you want. What you do is you go and stand up and listen. You and, see what's there. And he will play. The, the record shop man will just keep playing and playing and you choose. You understand? And if you're not in the front of that queue, you're not going to get that record. That's right. Well, no. It, 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 because don't forget, all sound man used to meet in record shops. And even though you're at the back, your your hand signal will, will, will tell the man, say that, you know, put one of those under the counter for me. And that's how it was, you know? So, yeah. But, you know, the later you go to record shop, is is in, in probably play a batch of music that you never did here and you miss those, you know? So you had was to get there quick. It was busy in the shop then. Yeah, yeah, and and, and all the dances then was word of mouth. There was no um, internet. You couldn't send it on phone and all of them things. There, you understand? You go in the record shop and you see a flyer. And what 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 kind of venues are you talking about? Because obviously things things are very different in these days. But in those days, then the, those days we had school halls. We had um, um, youth centres. Those kind of things, them. Yeah, yeah um, you had... Um, it's very rare, really, that, you know, we used to um, go into a pub. It was very rare. But it was always um, sport hall and, and school hall that keep these things. I mean, Maccabee was on the podcast and he was talking about playing his first sound in a school hall. And you, yeah. you can't imagine that now. It's like a, it's a really bygone thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, can you get a school for play now? You see what I'm saying? You, I mean, you we used to pass the risk assessment now. No, that, well, is, is that, is that, is that. But you used to get enough back in the day. And weddings and everything used to keep in school halls and them kind of thing there. Yeah. So at some point, obviously, um, moving forward, King Earthquake sound kind of became public and it's like I mean my, my recollection of that is I guess like um, early 2000s maybe hearing people from Leicester coming back to me saying oh there's this sound in Birmingham it's it's really heavy it's really heavy and that's when they were coming to like your, your first sessions when you'd built like the big sound What, what how, how did that all happen when it's like okay I'm going to bring out this big sound now what it was Steve, you see, you see, back in like 83, and them, them time, the 84, 85, the music started to change in Birmingham. And I didn't like, I didn't like it. But I mean, the other sound man them, when, 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 that was with me, they was all family members. Um, they didn't mind it, but I did. And I did refuse to play at these places. You know what I mean? And there was times when King Earthquake would play in an empty hall. In those days, we're playing into empty hall. Because people are into like dance hall. And... That's right. And down the road, there's a dance keeping and down there, ram and my dance. You understand? So in the end, I was forced to give, give up. And I did. I give up. And put it, and store everything and put it down and, you know. And, but you see, you see what happened now? I was um, courting with a daughter in London. And it's because I keep going to London every week, go look for her. You know, I used to always see, see on the number 36 bus, I don't know where, where I'm, 
in London, but there's always a big poster. I always used to see one poster with, with, with shock up on it. And I said, you know what, I'm coming off early. <laughs> and I go and look at that. And I went to that dance. I didn't know it was, I thought it was an old poster there from a long time. And you it, didn't realize that was still going on. No, no. And I, and, I, and I went there and I said to her, I said, look, look, we're, we're going to a dance. Flipping L. Steve, when I went in there, it's like I went back home. You understand? I went in there, but the, the only thing that did surprise me was that is more white people than black people. In my days, there was no white people in dance, you know? And I look and I think, this is like coming back home. So, so you hear Shaka play in London and you see that there's a, there's a kind of new movement of people interested in like roots music and it wasn't that's it did never hit me like that steve it never hit me like that what hit me was how come there is dub music going on in london and there's none in birmingham you understand me so is there is then i went to probably about two or three dance and this was at the rocket two or three dance and i said to myself you know what i'm bringing this back to birmingham people in birmingham don't know what's going on and then lose them way anyway I'm going to bring back my sound. And that's what I did, exactly what I did. So first, it was jungle that didn't influence me for coming at this strongly, you know? But the second one was Shaka. Well, they're, they're, they're both names that like keep, cropping, keep up. cropping up when you talk to people about sounds back in the day. It's yeah. like that, those, those two sounds in particular really like left an impression of people. Yeah, I, I, it's like... Um, see, I, I, I love Shaka to bits, yeah? Although he probably don't talk to me, he don't talk to me. But you know what? I don't care. If, if he don't want to talk to me, if he want to malice me, if he want whatever he want to do to me, I don't care. I love Shaka to bits. And I will tell everybody that. He was the one that put, bring me back into this thing, yeah? You know? And he was the one, he's, he's the one that's influenced everybody, basically, at the end of the day. Because when everybody stopped, he carried on, right? Yeah. And what's, what seemed to happen as well is that like the way when I first heard you, you kind of come back with a sound system then was kind of seeing um, like like a, playing music in a very authentic way off vinyl and off, off acetate, whatever, yeah. but playing with this weight, like a real heavy weight, like much heavier than so many other sounds around. Steve was always heavy, even back in the day. In the 70s, we was heavy. And I had to be heavy. And the only reason why I had to be heavy, yeah, is because that's the only way I can quiet another sound. Because don't forget, you know, I'm an Indian. And my crew is Indian. See? And we get picked on. Yeah? Because as far as everybody concerned back then, an Indian man ain't supposed to be playing reggae music. You understand? So... Because I'm not going to cuss no bad word or anything like that in the dance, I'll run them down because of anything like that. I had was to um, dominate them in some way, and I used to study sound system and frequencies. I used to study that, and I built the sound heavy back then. So when I come back, I said to myself, so I have to come back with the same trait. We don't name King Earthquake for nothing. Yeah, that's that's with a name like that, you have to yeah. kind of come with the, so with I, the earthquake. I had to come and make a stance, and, and, and I did that. Well, I think I did that. Definitely. It's like I say, I remember my friend, I tell Roots from Leicester, coming, like, phoning me and saying, oh, you just heard this sound in Birmingham. It's like, it's really, really heavy. Like, just like I said before, and it's kind of, and obviously there's a bit of a tradition of that in Birmingham with Quaker being known as a heavy sound and a yeah. crisp sound. 
I don't know, there, there is a survival mode in Birmingham sound system, them. Them have that. It's the fittest of the fittest, and it's at the end of the day. And do you think that's because of the whole, like, Birmingham is country as far as London people are concerned and kind of, I don't you know, know. Birmingham has to come with a stronger sound to kind of, to show that it's like, it's not all about London. No, Steve. When I was growing up, I never got to a dance in London. I never got to, a, I only ever knew a Birmingham dances them. Back then, because don't forget, we wasn't driving. You know, we, we never did travel venture too far and them kind of weird, eh? you know. So I don't know. I, I mean, the first time I hear Shaka in Birmingham, I didn't know who he was. You know what I mean? And what give, give me the recognition that me know Shaka is because he's jungle in play. We was following jungle. You understand? And then when me hear Shaka um, behave the way that he did, I thought to myself, so you know what? No other sound come on treat jungle man like that. When you, when you say behave how he did, I mean, what, what kind of things were going on? Okay. Now, the mic man for jungle, yeah, um, is very astute. This man yeah, um, is very clever, yeah, and he's very diplomatic, yeah, but then he's ruthless. When he's ready, he's ruthless. You don't, you don't fast with a man like that. You, you dare say a wrong word, yeah, because you will, you will get thrown down by the end of, for the whole entire night because of what you say. Now, this man, you know, I've never heard him in a defensive talk ever. I mean, we know him as Maki, but his name was Speedy on the sound, you know? <laughs> you never hear him in defensive talk. And I hear him say, Shaka come and we now run. And I'm thinking, what? This is him saying it's Shaka in the dance. Yeah, Shaka don't come yet. Okay. We, we, they, 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 everybody here, I mean, and this was like one o'clock in the night. Jungler play all through the dance and, and them kind of way that the place is shaking. It's a big place, big bit civic hall, big place and place is shaking, you know? And here he say, Shaka come and we now run. And I, he mentioned him talk that about two or three times. And I thought, what? says, I don't hear speedy talk like this ever. You know, it's always, you know, the, whatever sound come and we are run them back at all and we got this and we got that and that, 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 yeah. But then Shaka come, Light turn on everything, disturb the whole dance. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Yes. Ram dance. Yes. Yes. Um, and you had to squeeze it because you bring the whole sound in the middle of the dance. Everybody have to squeeze up. And it's like, say, I see a quad. And then I see another quad go up there. And a quad is a, is a big bass speaker with a four speakers four in. Four speakers in there. Yeah. And Steve, put these things right round. And I see him nail them down. Him, him chaka use nail and nail right through one box into the other box. Nailed them together. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, I'm, my first impression was, why is he doing, nobody now teeth in box. Where my nail them down for? You understand? But then, he played three tune. And that changed me. I know now why he nailed them down because they're going to shake right off any, right? Me never hear Anybody heavier than jungle? Never. Yeah? And then play a three record and the dance done. Just took the dance. Yeah. Three, three record. Yeah. Yeah. But th th that was, um, and I always remember that, that, um, that dance just for that alone. You know? I had to fight my way through. In fact, I fight my way through for another reason, but I fight my way through just to see who it was. You know? 
and for see where him they have because somebody somebody break in my yard, Steve. Then thief out my um my sound effect, right? And then when me hear Shaka play, that's the same siren me I hear. That's the same thing I'm hearing. The NJD. Yes. And because those was built in Birmingham. The NJD siren is like it's like the holy grail of sound effects now. Right. And wasn't it that someone told me the other day it was designed as a test thing for speakers because it because it's just it goes from like low frequency to high frequency mm. and the idea you could run it through through your disco speakers to make sure they're working. Yes, yes. I, uh, the word that the man used to me that is that it's a sound generator. That's what this word when you, yeah, and you put it on your disco. So I said, I'll put one on my disco then if I that if that's it. And I was the first one to use one of those. The very first person to buy what because they just come in the shop and yeah, made lot, in Birmingham. I'll, yeah, a lot of the sounds them, I didn't hear them with them, you know. So when mine get teeth now, and then me go dig better and hear it, I thought and to myself... this is Shaka playing with a siren on the sound. Yeah, no, my first impression was this, this man teeth me things. So I'm going up to have a log. But then I go up and I see, because I modified mine a little bit, and theme one was the original one. So I thought, you know what, fair play. And he's an elder. But it's interesting you talk about the siren and Birmingham because one thing that I'm quite interested in asking you about is like when you came out with the sound, like when you came back out with the sound, mm. um, Lynx was heavily involved in some of the, the amplifiers and preamp. Is, is that right? Well, everything. Okay, so Lynx, Lynx is a, if anyone listening doesn't know, is like was a legendary... Um, sound system builder. So I was wondering what what you could tell us about Lynx and like what his involvement in your sound system was. When I first met Lynx, I went to the um, there's a shop near Matthews in town um, that sells speaker and, and all little gadgets and, and speaker. Um, sorry, components and it was that kind of shop, like like a radio shack. And it was it was them times there. Um, few people was using these four-channel disco mixers, yeah? And I'm explaining to the man in the shop, say, I don't want to use one of those. We, back in the day, we used to have a preamp. And he said, well, have a look at this. And he showed me a one new preamp. Yeah, so I says, okay, who built that? And he gave me the number. Keith Gordon, his name is, Lynx. I went and see him and I explained to him what we want, yeah? And I said to him, say, the one new thing now got to do me. I don't want that. This is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we do. And he said, I don't think that can work. So I said, it can work. He says, I, I, it's in my yard. No, I can't carry it to my yard. And so, so, we, so we did. We drive from free yard to my yard. And I got the stereo separates them, doing what I want. And he said, um, and what about the crossover? He said, no crossover. He said, there's crossover. He said, there's no crossover. <laughs> and he made me pull off my box then just for sure so he said that there's no crossover in my box anyway I paid him and I said to him he said build me this and I, draw, I, I do the front panel and I do the back panel and I said this is what we want and he done it and ever since then um, he's had a lot of respect for me now Keith um, always wanted to prove a point to everybody that was Keith that was Lynx he wanted to prove a point to everybody so that he's the biggest builder, the best builder, and, and whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and he built a couple of other sounds. Um, and they've they done what they're doing. Um, but, you know, because Keith knew me um, and he knew what I was capable of from back in the day, 
he said to me, he said, I must build the sound as his prototype. So you we really worked together on this thing. Yeah. With Lynx was involved in everything like boxes, amplifier, preamp. Okay, it, Lynx, Keith did, did link up with a man named Zef. Zef was the box builder and Keith was the electronic side of it. And But they, they, they split later on. But then when he see me make a couple of boxes, he wanted me to replace Zef and I, I told him, no, I ain't got the time. I can't be um, doing this full time because I got this doing and this doing and this doing, you know? So he concentrated more on the preamp and the power amp side of it. And then he went into sound effects. Because what, what seemed to happen when, when, when King Earthquake Sound came back out in that time is it seemed to be like, we're not doing it in any own, anyone's way apart from our way. We're not having the same boxes as anyone. We're doing our thing. And it seemed to, and it came with like a real identity and a real lot of power, I think. And people really noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the amplifier that Keith developed, um, it was the first time he's developing it, and I got the prototype. So I, I um, expanded on that. Keith knew exactly what I wanted, and I know that Keith was capable of doing what, what we did need. That's it, because the importance of like these people, these builders that can make these like 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 bespoke electronic items to do something very... Because reggae sound system's not like a PA. It's something completely different, isn't it? And also, you, you were playing um, like vinyl and acetate, and it's mm. like, why, why did you choose to do that when you came back out again? Because you're, you're now in the digital age. Some people are playing CDs, DATs, whatever. So why, why, why the vinyl and acetate? Because I'm old, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know it no other way. I don't know it no other way. And you know what, as, as well, when, when CDs did first come out, yeah, honest to God, and I'm afraid, ashamed I should talk this, but when it did first come out, it did frighten me. I didn't know how to use one of these machines. So I ain't going down that road. You understand? I've already got a turntable. I already got my records Them Leave me with that. And with, with the sound, so you, you're playing out with the sound, and I, I mean, it, it was, you know, phenomenally, phenomenally heavy sound system. And I, w I wonder what kind of like feedback you were getting from people because I think it was quite a shocking thing for some people. It's um, okay when I when I did for when I before I come back out, you know, yeah. Um, I went and I hear a few sounds um, to know what my competition is, you know. So I, I said to myself, "Say, well, boy, you know what? I have to come better." You understand? If I'm going to survive in this game, yeah, I'm gonna have to come better. And I dealt with frequency, you know. A lot of people say it was loud, and to some extent it was, but would come with the loudness was frequency, you know? And it's frequency that's doing the damage, you know? I mean, there are songs now that is playing loud, 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 and there's no frequency there, so, it's, uh, you know, it's not sound system. But I guess using, utilising this certain preamp and certain speakers and everything tuned in to a certain way, yeah. you're getting this kind of... Yeah, yeah. This earthquake effect. Yeah, yeah. I built a few boxes and I was to scrap them because they wasn't um, good enough, you know, because I was determined I'm not coming, I'm building the scoops. I'm not, everybody's doing that. I ain't doing that. And what, what was also interesting was this kind of, like, like, maybe it's because of the old days when you're hearing these sounds play each other and like clash, but this sort of fearless playing other sounds and kind of, and and just making the other sounds work very hard, you know. You you you, you know what it was, Steve. 
It's because I was over happy. I was over glad. You understand? That I know that I've, what I have is far heavier than what you have. You understand? So it gave me the confidence to just do what I want to do whenever I did want to do it. You know? I, I, and it was never... Because don't forget when I did come back out, you know, all of this clash thing and, and war thing did stop. So there was, there was, there was no... Um, Signing off a sound anymore. We didn't do them kind of thing um, anymore. You know, there, there was there was no showing up a sound and, and them kind of way. That, so all it was, it was just played. And I was glad to play it and prove to people, said, look, this, I'm heavy. Look, listen to this. <laughs> Enjoying it. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And I know a lot of the sound them did feel away. Some of the sound them did feel away. And what, but you see, what that did do, Steve, was, was make everybody rethink. That's it. Because for, for me, it's, that, it's this kind of, there was some talk about it recently, about like competition and whatever. But for me, when two sounds meet, it's a sport, it's a competition. And it's not like you want to, you want blood on the floor or anything, but you want to, you want to, you want to play better music. You want to, you want to win the crowd over more. That's, that's, that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. And when someone turns up with a sound that's super heavy and they've got music, then it's like, that's that's going to make the other sounds like run hard to kind of that's to, right. to keep up with it all. That's right. That's right. And that's what it is. And it's always been like that here in Birmingham anyway. You know, it's keeping up with the drones, isn't it? And every sound, you know, is striving to be better and better and better. Enough money spent in a sound system. <laughs> we'd, have, we'd all be million years. We'd all be rich right now if we never did have sound. And also, I mean, what you, you, you took the sound abroad a few times as well. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that. Is happening more and more now, but that never really used to happen back in the day. And it's like, what, what what's it like taking the sound abroad? Because it's quite a mission, I guess. It is, you know, Steve. But you know, it's because I'm a stubborn me. I'm a stubborn person. That we are there. Back in the day, I had the philosophy, and not just me. Everybody that had the philosophy says, you know, when we don't borrow sound. If you if you're gonna beat a sound, beat him with your own things. You can't beat him with somebody else's sound. You understand? So we never borrow sound, and we never lend sound. You know. A lot, I mean, a lot of the elders, them over me, did. You understand? But when, when I come, we never borrow sound. And I stuck to that. You understand? I ain't playing on your sound because I don't want you to play by my sound. It's, that was that kind of thing. And obviously, what the sound system is doing is it's playing music. And it's like, you're a music producer as well. And obviously, you run a label and stuff as well. So, I wondering when you... How, how did you get into making music? Well, I have to thank my brethren, Angus, Angus Digital for that, because, um, you see, I, I mean, okay, how I know it is that you need um, things to play where other people can't play, yeah? And yeah, it's, it's great for just go to the record shop and keep buying things and playing those, you know, but then sometimes as a sound system, you got to play things where you... Now, I was spending a lot of money in other people's studio, you understand? And Angus said to me, he said, well, all you need is this, and all you need is this. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was too technical for me, yeah? Him take the time. He sell me some of my old things, them. Him upgrade some of my things, then we get the old ones, them. And, and it started there. And, and this is how he teach me everything and learn me everything. Because when, when those productions, when, when I first heard those productions, it's, they definitely had their own vibe. And they kind of, again, they brought something new. And I've seen many people kind of, you know, 
copy, inspire, buy, whatever. But it's like it's yeah. it's that that kind of earthquake sound is was was. Was it was a new thing you kind of brought into it? So, yeah. what what were your? Did you have any inspirations behind making music in that way? No, I just I I, um, I done something. It sounded nice, and that 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 becomes like the um, blueprint or some kind of thing, you know. It, so I, I just carried on that way. And and what what about like releasing music? So what 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 about the label? How how did that all come about? What it what it was? Um, a lot of people was asking me for music. A lot of people because I never used to sell music. I used to just build them and play them, build them and play them, build them and play. But then I had a lot of surplus stuff now that me build from the early times. So I says, you know what? I'm gonna release them. I'm not gonna um, redo them or neat and find them. I'm gonna put them out as original dub um, mixes. And I, I just created the label and, and Barry Isaac, my brethren, um, take it and put it together for me. Because you, you've worked with a lot of artists as well, haven't you? The labels like kind of put out music by a lot of great artists over the years, like vocalists. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's only because they come and sing for me for dub plates, you know. You know, because dub plates was the, um, the main fundamental thing for me. You understand? Releases come after. You know what I mean? So things where them sing for me, me I said, you know, me that forgot call them back or, or, you know, say, well, you know where you do? Sing this because we're going to put it out because it sound good. Everybody wants it. So you have to take out my name. <laughs> Simple. But one, one thing I noticed about setting up a label is that the music travels quite a long way. You, you press a record and people are buying it in all these different countries and it kind of takes on a life of its own. It was quite a surprise to me when I started doing it. It did me as well. I mean, I, I was very surprised when the first time I go abroad, people is queuing up for me if you sign my record them. I didn't, I didn't expect none of that. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, well, so far the record them reach, you know? I'm thinking I'm going, oh, coming over here to play these tunes, I'm not going to hear them for the first time, but then I got them. So yeah, it, it, it does, um, and it's amazing, it's amazing. And I think that's what gives me the recognition, you know? Because I hear the music before they see me. Yeah, because only so many people can witness the sound and come to the dance. But records, yeah. they have a life of their own, and that that's right. That's that's exactly it. So so you know that was my incentive to just keep putting out record. Then you know. So like I said, you, you work you work with quite a lot of like artists as well. I don't, I don't know if there's any artists in particular that you remember working with or kind of you know experiences you've had with vocalists or. No, you know, the EM Steve was there, right? Because I'm a Birmingham sound. I wanted to... The whole ambition why I come back, yeah, was to put Birmingham on the map. Because I used to go to um, the the um, the cup dances them, where Asha them and Sister get put on. I used to go to those. Is that the, the Jar Works promotions? Yes, yes Jar Works promotion. Um, and I end up meeting them and, and, and being friends with them and talking to them. But I notice everywhere you go, Black Amix used to put on dance, um, Raymond Judah put on dance, um, Skelly Roots of Bristol put on dance, everybody put it on dance. Birmingham is not in and none of these things yet. So my whole ambition, when I did go and hear Shaka in London, I said, I'm going to put Birmingham back on the map. And that was my ambition. Now, come with that as well, I wanted to big up the artists them that's in Birmingham as well. So this is why I draw for a lot of the talents them that me, you know, remember and know over the years, them, you know, me draw them back in a studio and make them sing. You know, and, and new ones come 
and get introduced to me and them kind of way there. But it was all, all a lot of it was for um, big up Birmingham artists them. Birmingham's got such a big history of reggae music. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, you know, a lot of the talent here still don't get discovered yet. A lot of them don't get discovered yet. And I'm hoping that, like, this time round, we can do that. And, I mean, I, I'm travelling from Leicester, and it's like, when I go abroad to play, a lot of people presume that I'm coming from London, because people think, you, you must have the same thing, I guess. Yes, yes. Everybody thinks that me come from London. Everybody, you know, I don't know what it is. London is, is like the be-all and end-all for them, isn't it? England is always London. That's, that's how they think, yeah. But actually, there's all these different cities. There's Leicester and there's Birmingham and there's Leeds and there's yeah. Bristol and there's Manchester and they've all got sound systems and scenes and studios. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it is, and, and I don't know why. I, I suppose it's because London is the capital. I don't know. And, you, and now, and, you know, the last few years, you've been travelling quite a lot and, like, playing a lot on the continent and, you know, and at these different sessions. And that, that for me, like I've said this many times on the podcast, it's a surprise that there's a scene developed in Europe and all over the world now. <clears throat> you it wasn't know, what I expected when I first started going to dance. By right, how me see everything is that it's supposed to be the UK that have the um, thriving business. You know, it's supposed to be every, every, every um, city having them one thing and then a big link up or something like that. We ain't even got a festival here in, in, in the UK. But everywhere you go in Europe, there's a festival. You understand? And I'm thinking to myself, so what is it? Um, and, uh, you know, some point in the night playing in, in Europe, I always tell them, I tell them so that all people have it together. We in the UK are scattered. We don't know what we're doing. You understand? We're living for ourselves and just for ourselves. We're not living for everybody else. And know is there as a community. We're doing the right thing. So I pray soon for it. You understand? Yeah, for real. Yeah, so now Europe is the place to be, you know? Although, may I try to build things here, you know? But at the end of the day, you can't knock the Europeans for doing what they do. Yeah, the support for the music and the love they have for the music is like, that's, yeah. for me, is very inspiring. Steve, let me tell you, the first time I went there with my sound system, yeah? I walk, when we come out the truck and walk around, there's about eight people and or ten people behind the truck ready to lift off my sound. And I'm thinking to myself, say, and, and that night I didn't have to lift up anything. All I was doing was directing. You understand me? Now you tell me who's going to do that in the UK for you. That's not going to happen here. No. Because, because everybody's selfish that we're there. Nobody ain't going to help you if you so make him lift it up. And also, I, I kind of think, because it's been here for so long in the UK, people are kind of used to it, but in many countries, it's like a new thing. So when yourself as like an elder in the scene that's got a lot of experience, turns up with a sound system or even to select or whatever, people, they want to learn from that because they didn't have that history there. Yeah, it, 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 it is that. They all want to play a part and they're eager to play a part. If, if people are like looking at, especially with your experience of sound system, people are looking at building sounds. Have you got any advice that you'd give to people who are, who are looking at doing something like that? My advice is I always think because right now in the UK, Everywhere is closing down. You ain't got nowhere to play sound anymore. And in the in Europe, I'm seeing a lot of this nice restriction going on. 
um, that true. You, you can't play your sound anymore. So it, it, think to yourself, is it worth you spending a lot of your hard-earned money to build something that you might not be able to use and play? You know, it's probably better you go and freelance and play on somebody else's sound. You know, and it's it's sad that it have to go that way there because I'm all for my man playing on his own sound. You know, it's a terrible situation where we can't express ourselves anymore when before we could, you know, and we're getting stifled in everything. I mean, yeah, all right, then quickly sell you the big thousand watt speaker them and two thousand watt speaker them and the 20,000 watt amplifier, but then they don't give you know if you play it. Yeah, that's it. And people, people never used to live in the cities and now people live in the cities here yeah. and everyone's complaining about the noise and it's harder and harder. Yeah. But you, you see, I mean, I mean, I, I went to somewhere in um, Amsterdam and this was a purposely built building where it was like a, um, a, a dance hall inside another room. You understand? So it was double insulated. You're outside, you can stand up outside and you really can't hear nothing. Really, really can't hear nothing. And I said, why don't we have something like that in the UK? That's what we need. With that investment and with the technology of around in, yes. in terms of building and acoustics, that yes. investment in places like that. Yes. We, we, these places are important. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we created a scene and it, it's not being maintained and, and we, nobody's there um, to give us um, you know, a heads up, a leg, leg up and say, well, all right, at the end of the day, we all frustrated. We all have um, to offload on them kind of way. And this is what music does. You understand? So yes, say a hall dear, when to go and go offload. You understand? Yeah, it's, it's it's like a release, isn't it? Yes. It's like a release valve. It's yes. kind of yeah, that's that's what that's what the dance is all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then take away the blues from we, and then take away all of the school halls them from we know, and and all of the community centres them and and youth club them and all of them thing there. Then we got nowhere for play. Well, I'm, I'm not going to give anything away, but we know we were talking about some stuff earlier on, and there's some interesting developments ahead. I think in terms of like what you're doing and kind yeah. of yeah, there's kind of watch this space definitely. All right, watch it, yes. <laughs> and well, just to kind of sort of finish things off, it's like one thing I'm asking everybody at the end of the interview is um, to to. I'm writing the book of dub and I'm writing something next to each person I interview's name. Like what 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 do they want to be associated with themselves or just something they want to say. It's kind of so so Errol, what what would you want to say? I'm writing King Earthquake in the book of dub. Why well, I don't know, Steve. I, I mean at the end of the day, the way that I see this thing, you know, um a lot of people do look up to the name King Earthquake. You know, a lot of people look up to that. Um, and I don't think, say, it's me they should be looking at. You understand? I think, say, it's all the people them that's, um, that has been refused. You understand? We have all been, I mean, I've been refused many a times by um, authorities and whatever it is, you know? Um, and I always go by this philosophy, the stone that the builder refused. You understand? I want. I would like to become, and I like would, would like we to become the head cornerstone. You understand? That is how I want people to remember this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's it's an oppressive society as it is. You understand? Don't make it more difficult than it have to be. But this is what them do. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think I would be the head cornerstone.
Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, Errol King Earthquake, thank you very much for taking part in the Life in Dub podcast. It's been really interesting talking to you and I know there's some really cool things happening in the future and like, yeah, so just thanks for being involved. Boy, well, give thanks, Steve. Thank you. I, I mean, if, if it was a few things like this, people wouldn't, wouldn't know. You know yeah, saying? that's it. Just trying to share some of the history and just kind of again, let, no. give a chance to let people know the person behind it, the music and behind the sound a bit more. Yes. And, yeah, no, no, it's good because there's a whole scene there, you know, Steve, that people don't know about. And it's all right. It's easy to preach to the converted already, you know. Build a dance hall and you know the people them that already come, them already know. But it's the new people them that don't know. We need to get to right. So what you're doing, Desog, will reach more ears than where we are doing a dance hall. So what you're doing is even more important than what me are doing. Ah, we're trying. We're Respect. Trying. Thank you nice. for that. Thank no, you. no. Thank, thank you for you. that, Steve. Thanks again for joining me and Errol for this seventh episode of the Life in Dub podcast. As ever, you can visit the website, lifeindub.com, and don't forget to subscribe to Life in Dub wherever you pick up your podcasts. Feel free to email me at vibronics at gmail.com with any comments or suggestions for the show, and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast. <laughs>